Uh, I spoke at the beginning of the month, uh, or a couple weeks ago, and I just want to bring some clarity. I talked about, and I've mentioned it a couple times about uh, Leanne and I, when I first saw Leanne, I just knew she was the one. She didn't feel that way. And I shared a little bit about that a couple weeks ago, and I got some phrases about stalking afterwards. And I just want you to know that 35 years ago, I never looked at her Facebook page. <laughs> and I never, I never sent her any text messages, or did I get her phone number and call her. Um, it wasn't stalking back then. It was, uh, I put it down here, it was steadfastness. In, in life, we can uh, be faced with all kinds of, of challenges. And there is a difference between stubbornness and faithfulness or steadfastness. And we're going to be looking at, we're starting a new series in the faces of Easter. Today we're going to be looking at a scripture, a verse in Isaiah 50, verse 7. And this first face of the Easter season that we're going to look at is the face like flint. It is about a steadfastness and about a determination, even in the midst of trouble and hard times. Our text today is verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 50. I'll just read it. It's just one verse. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. These verses of Isaiah are really prophetic and point towards the Messiah. They point towards Jesus Christ, who would face many sufferings, trials, and challenges as he sought to fulfill the purpose for his earthly existence. These words are a declaration of Jesus' unwavering resolve to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose for his life of coming to this earth. Luke seems to reflect this verse. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we read, When the days drew near for him, talking about Jesus, uh, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The Message Bible says that part, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. The Living Bible says this, that he moved steadily onward towards Jerusalem with an iron will. The NIV says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And King James says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. These words really reflect the plan that God had for Jesus coming to this earth. To set things right. To prepare the damage that had been done to restore a relationship. To pay the penalty. To pay the price. To pay a debt. Jesus came to this earth, to this world, for a purpose, and he knew it. In Mark chapter 10, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The boy Jesus, when he got separated from his parents, was found in Jerusalem in the temple, and he said to his parents, Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Or other translations refer to it as his father's business. As he ate that last meal with his disciples, we read in Luke 22, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. 
even when he knew what was lying ahead, what was going to be ahead of him, he desired to have that time with his disciples. He didn't fear it or run away from it, but he desired to fulfill it. There's a couple points I want to look at. Um, Focused determination, face like flint. Again, this passage means that the Messiah would be firm and resolute amidst all the, the contempt and scorn which he would meet. That he had made up his mind to endure it and would not shrink from any kind or degree of suffering which would be necessary to accomplish his great task, his great work that he came to do. He came to fulfill a purpose, and yet there would be all kinds of temptations, trials, and difficulties that he would face to fulfill this call. There's several things I want to look at that seem to be obstacles that could have persuaded him to go another way or pull him in another direction, but they didn't. The offer of the world, we read in, in, uh, that he was tempted, and one of the temptations was the offer of the world. The people we know were ready to make him king. We read that in John chapter 6, that they were ready to take him even by force and make him king. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. Even you can see in the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday that we celebrate today, that the people were ready for him to be king. They were worshiping, celebrating him. It is amazing that when they realized that it was not an earthly kingdom that he wanted, that that wasn't the direction he was going, that within days they would be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And like I mentioned, Satan tempted him in Luke chapter 4. It says this, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I want. If you will, fall down and worship me. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here too, Jesus, he could have turned away from his calling. He like so many, when we are offered an easier path to, uh, to the fulfillment of something, we can be tempted to pull away. When there's an easier or a more comfortable way to go, when there seems to be an easier direction to achieve even our goal, we can be tempted and lured away by the things of the world. Yet Jesus stood strong. Jesus was not going to turn away. His zeal, his steadfastness, his determination was too fervent. His purpose was too strong. His compassion and love for mankind was too great, too intense, that he would not turn away. Philippians 2 says this, Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Jesus had voluntarily left the glory and the majesty of heaven to come to this earth. He had laid aside his glorious spiritual form and taken on the limited form of weak man. So who and what could bribe him to turn away from his purpose? No one, nothing. For he was set, his face was like flint on what he had come to do. A second thing is the, the words in the, of his family and friends. Jesus came for a purpose and something that ordinary men could not understand. It was beyond them to fully grasp what he had come to do. Even those that were closest to him, even those that he loved. His family, in, Luke, in Mark chapter 3, wanted to seize him, to take him away, saying that he was out of his mind. And then we can read about even his closest friend in Mark chapter 8, where Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him about talking about his suffering. And that's where Jesus' famous word is, get thee behind me, Satan. Even those closest to him, those that he grew up with, did not understand what he was here to do and tried to persuade him in another direction. Jesus was no ordinary man. His calling and his purpose was beyond ordinary men's comprehension and understanding. Even when they tried to persuade him, he was set, he was determined to complete his work. His face was set like flint towards what was ahead. Another point is discouragement of mankind's weakness. We read in John chapter 1 that he was in the world, talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. His own people did not believe in him. He came to help, and they rejected him. In Matthew 27, we read that Pilate finds no reason for Jesus to be crucified, and yet the crowd still cries out for his blood. So Pilate gives in because of the pressure, but he washes his hands and says, I am innocent of his blood. And that's where the cry comes out from the crowd, that his blood be on us and on our children. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. His disciples fled in his greatest time of suffering. Are they worth such a sacrifice? It's amazing that the same people who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, would within weeks be among those who would believe in him as Lord and Savior, as Peter spoke at the day of Pentecost. Men can change, can't they, really quickly. But God's arms are always open to receive, to receive us as his own. Romans 5 says this, For while we were still sinners, still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the love of God. And that is what was before Christ as he journeyed towards his purpose. 
We know that there is nothing we can do, that we are all sinners, as Romans 3 says, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Anyone who thinks that they can compare to God are deceiving themselves, for we are all sinners compared to God. God and Jesus, they could have acted upon their holiness and justice and could have condemned this world because of sin. Again, Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. Yet Christ set his face like a flint to carry out his purpose, our salvation, and the the price that would pay for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans again says, for the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. My favorite verse since I was a child is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I have a pillow in my office with that scripture on it. That was my grandmother's. And as a child, we didn't have uh, electronical, electronic devices and games. Um, and grandmas sometimes could be a little boring when there was one TV and the adults had the uh, authority over it. So this pillow became something that I actually learned to read from and trace the words. But God also used that pillow to begin to share with me his love. And it wasn't so much that the, the pillow said, and the scripture says, God so loved the world. God began to reveal that God loved me that much. And I want to share that with you, is that God loves you so much that he was willing to give his only son, Christ, to come to this earth. That if we would believe in him, we'll not be condemned, but we will have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Another obstacle and trial before him was the weight and the agony of his purpose. We can read in Luke 22, and he came out and went as his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Talking about his suffering and the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So was the intensity of the agony that he was praying, that the blood began to seep through his pores and fall to the ground like sweat. His disciples, when he goes to them, where are they? They fall asleep. While he is in this agony of even preparing himself for what is going to be ahead, his closest companions sleep. The battle of the cross started long before Jesus hung upon it. His whole life and ministry led him towards that point. The enemies, the weakness of mankind waged war against him. And here in the garden, just hours before he would face the something that we cannot understand, we've never seen, nor can we 
comprehend the full agony of what he endured. And yet, with the weight of the world, with the weight of millions upon millions of souls, all dependent on him, his actions, his success, would have eternal significance for all mankind. The agony, the weight of that weighed upon him, both physically and spiritually. If anything could have broken our Savior's determination, it would have been that agony and that blood in the garden. Yet it did not turn him away from his purpose, from his task, and from the sacrificial offering of himself that he would have. Have you ever, have you ever gone through something that you just, you even, you even prayed, God, I wish I was never born? That's the type of agony that Jesus faced. And yet he says, not my will, but your will be done. Do you see the determination there? the determination, even when he knows what lies ahead, that he will fulfill his purpose. He did that for you. And do you know what amazes me even more? Is that he did that for me. I prayed years ago, God, may I never, may I never grow comfortable with the price you paid for me and I haven't. I still am amazed when I think of what he did for me. And I have said to God more times than I can remember, I am not worthy of that sacrifice, of that agony, of that pain. I am not worthy. And you know what he says to me every single time? Yes, you are. That is the love of Almighty God the love that he offers all of us to know. Have you ever felt so alone during a time, a trial, a difficulty? Jesus had the Father, and he prayed, and the ministering angel we read about, and yet his dearest and closest friends were not there to support him and help him. And as he faced the cross and would go to it, that weight, the sin of the world, would be upon him and him alone. At such times, most of us would be willing to give up and to walk away. Unless we were so determined to get through it, to accomplish what was ours. And that's where Jesus was. Another temptation to get away, but he stayed the course. He faced it. He looked towards what was ahead to accomplish his purpose, his calling. Not my will, but your will be done. Next, Jesus had the choice of leaving. It's one thing to go through difficulties when there's no choice, when we can't get out of the situation and we have to go through. But if there was an easy exit, then that's something different. Jesus could at any time have exited this world, had left before the suffering even started or during the, any time of the agony on the cross, and yet he chose not to. 
Matthew 26, 53 says this, do you not think that I could not appeal to my father and he would at once send more than 12 legions of angels through his arresting in the garden and the binding of his arms and hands, through the false accusations and the lies that were thrown at him, through the schemes and the wickedness, through the betrayal and the loneliness, through the beatings, the mockings, the spitting, the whipping, the scourging, through the weight of the cross and what it meant, through the exhaustion and the blood loss and pain, through the crowning with thorns, the nails within his hands and feet, and the scoffing. He could have come down from that cross if he wanted to, but his steadfastness, his determination held him there. He could have leaped down into the midst of that rabble, that crowd, and he could have, like the destroying angel in Egypt, swept them all away. But there he hung in order that he might redeem men, even the ones that mocked him. There he hung. It's often said that our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. But it was his love for us that kept him there. He could have come down, but he stayed. They mocked him. If you are the Christ, come down. Save yourself and us with you. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Through it all, his face was set like flint to accomplish the task that he was there to do. With focused determination, he never flinched. He stayed to the end until he cried, it is finished. The weight and agony, again, of the sin of the world is our next thing. We know the physical suffering, but the spiritual as well. The physical suffering is one thing, but Jesus Christ was the sinless incarnation of God. God made man. He was without sin, without fault. Pilate said that. I, I find no reason. He knew no sin. And yet he became sin on the cross for you and for me. Peter says this, 1 Peter 2, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God made him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 10 says this, he offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins. First John says that he was the, the propitiation of our sins. The NIV calls that the atoning sacrifice. The Living Bible says the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself. The message says that when he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. He stepped in and took our punishment for our sins upon himself. He who knew no sin, he who was pure love and goodness, took the wrath of God upon himself. 
that awful cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he cried upon the cross was a moment of total misery, whoa. Then the last cry, and he cries out, it is finished. Death came to him who gave life. Yet death could not keep Christ back from accomplishing his purpose. He set his face like flint, even as he died for sins and won our victory. He did not back away, no matter what he was going to face, to win the victory. He won our victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear the grave. Christ has won the victory for us. And we know that when and whatever time death happens to this mortal body, that we will live with him forever. That our spirits that he redeems will live forever. For all that receive it, receive what he has accomplished, what he has won upon the cross. Focus determination and now focus destination. The last part of our text was not put to shame. Jesus endured because he looked towards what was before him. The end result, the outcome, the eternal rewards. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, at verse 9, we read, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, not put to shame. He was mocked, he was jeered at, he was spit upon. He is now and forever exalted. Every knee will bow, if not here and now, there and then, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus was also focused on the destination of others, not just his own. He was looking ahead towards you and towards me. Our loving God was not just thinking of himself, but of others. We read in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Years ago, this verse stood out to me, spoke to me in such an incredible way. You know, the joy that was set before him was not that he would be at the, seated at the right hand of God. What God really showed me is that the joy that was set before him that helped him to endure all that he faced on the cross was you, was me. What he did was not to get the glory of heaven. He already had that before he came to this earth. Nothing could change that. He was God already. But he endured the cross, all its shame, all its agony, for the joy that was set before him. And that is that you and I would receive him and know him and be with him for eternity. God's love amazes me, humbles me. What he did 
he did for his love for you and for me. Pastor Scott, could I ask you and the worship team maybe to come up and play? I know you have to put your son down. But I want to close. I want to close with a couple thoughts. If, you, if you're at a point in your life and you're here today and you've never asked Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior, asked him for the forgiveness of your sins and then a determination to live for him, I want to, I want to encourage you to do that. What's holding you back? What's hindering you from receiving the free gift that God won upon the cross? We've looked at a list of things that did not hold Jesus back from paying the price for your sins. There were opportunities that he could have left. He could have taken another path, but he didn't. Nothing would persuade him. Change the direction of his call and of his purpose. So what, what could hold you back from receiving him? Receiving the free gift of forgiveness. The same people that cried out to him to crucify him. Jesus spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There is nothing in your life that God will not forgive because the blood of Christ is so great, so powerful, that it will wipe away every sin and every stain. You hear me? There is nothing. Don't deceive yourself and don't let the enemy of your soul lie to you that God cannot forgive you. He forgives it all through the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is to reach out to him. Don't let anything in this world hold you back from receiving the love of Almighty God because you are the joy that was set before him. He looks down upon you even now and he invites you to take his hand to come and know him and the new life, the new life he promises to all. If you're here today and you have received that gift, praise God. Amen. This last couple weeks as I prepared this message, I couldn't help but as I looked over these points and the determination of Christ to go to the cross and that nothing would persuade him or lead him another way. Sometimes I look and what are the things that get in the way of our life? What are the things that instead of keeping us in the course of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, things of the life kind of get in the way and can lead us away from him. I think of Peter who walked on the water. We remember Peter for the one who sank, but he's the only one who got out of the boat, and the scripture says that he did walk on water. That's pretty incredible. I mean, we can walk on the water too, but that's because it's a block of ice out there. 
Peter walked on water. It's when he got his eyes off of Jesus, began to look at the storm around him, the wind and the waves, that he lost faith and he started to sink. Scripture says that he cried out to the Lord, and immediately Jesus was there to help him. I know that life and sometimes the trials of life can be difficult. Living for Christ, and as I spoke earlier, that new life that God gives and his love and freedom, it is there and it is true, but life can still be difficult and we can still face trials. We still have an enemy that wages war against us because God loves us so much. But we need to set our faith. We need to set our faith like flint and look towards Christ the one who paid it all, and seek him and serve him no matter what storms may come our way. I'm not belittling difficulties that people face, but I am not going to belittle an almighty and all-powerful God who promises to never leave us or forsake us. Church, child of God, you are loved by him. Draw near to him. Life can pull us in a lot of different directions, and we may have a lot of things on the go. There was one thing that kept Christ on the course. And that was the cross. And that was you and me. Life may be busy, but set your faith on him. Stern and strong. Determined every day to walk the path. Not alone, but with him. And draw near to him. Man, he loves you so much. He wants you to know him more than you do even now. To know his love, his strength, his joy, his peace. Draw near to him. This week as we approach Easter, we look towards the cross, the death and the resurrection take some extra time this week and draw near to him. Take some extra time and thank him every day for what he's done for you and what he's doing because he is worthy. Amen?